jumping into our next panel. Um, this has been the style of our of our um, two days here, which has just been go, 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 no break, momentum, let's rock and roll. So we're gonna keep this ball rolling. Um, all right, so we're gonna be discussing uh, right now the, the how, do, how does startups win the AI battle? Um, it's a, you know, it's a very interesting, it's a really interesting time for, for AI right now. Um, and I'm really excited to jump in. We have some great panelists. Let's first, uh, let's first go around the room and, and, uh, and everyone introduce themselves. Matt, you want to kick it off, buddy? Yeah, sure. Uh, Drew, thanks for having us. Um, my name is Matt Morellis. I'm the founder and CEO of Oasis AI. Uh, we're a writing assistant that tries to make it really, really easy to turn sort of the thoughts in your heads into uh, writing that other people can understand. That's that, that's clear and, and easy. Okay, uh, Preston. Yeah, hey guys. Um, again, thanks Drew for having us and, and good to be on the panel with Matt and Brent. I'm Preston. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer and Chief Financial Officer for a company called Taffy and Daz3D. Uh, we're in the 3D content space, and so we have software that's used by millions to create and consume 3D content. We have a marketplace, and we have a creator community, and we have a lot of cool AI uh, products coming to market too. Great, great. Brett? Hey guys, I'm Brett. Uh, thanks Redbeard for putting this on, and it's great to be on here with uh, my fellow, fellow panelists. I'm the VP of Community at Aletheia AI. Uh, Aletheia AI is a research and development studio building at the intersection of generative AI and blockchain. And our mission is to use these technologies to enable decentralized ownership and de democratic governance of AI. So in 2021, we've been around since 2019. Uh, in 2021, we auctioned off the world's first intelligent uh, NFT, Alice, uh, with Sotheby's for about a half a million dollars. Um, in 2022, we launched a collection of uh, intelligent NFTs called the Revenants, who are characters of interest from history, uh, Merlin, Nietzsche, Tesla, uh, as intelligent NFTs, along with our personality pod assets that will allow you to turn any NFT into an intelligent NFT. Uh, and then in 2023, last year, we launched Character GPT, excuse me, which is a, a text-to-character generation that mints uh, NFTs, mints these agents as NFTs uh, on the Polygon blockchain. Uh, and we have more coming in 24. Awesome, Adil. Adil, you're on mute, buddy, if you want to introduce yourself. Oh, hey, Adil. Uh, yeah, I thought you were uh, referring to someone else. Hey, guys. Oh, um, yeah, this is Adil. I am the product lead at Stability AI. Um, hopefully, you all are familiar with Stability. We are uh, putting out the uh, image models, uh, video models, like SVD 1.1 just uh, came out. Uh, we've got a new 3D model coming out as well uh, that produces 3D models out of 2D images in a couple of milliseconds. Um, yeah, we've got some very interesting stuff in audio as well. And um, our language models are some of the smallest and fastest and uh, pretty performant given how small good they are. You can run them on your Apple Watch. Um, yeah, in general, we're like the multimodal open source uh, AI uh, company. And uh, depending on what side of the EAC D-cell spectrum you fit, we're either one of the companies that is uh, saving the world or or uh, ruining uh, the chance. <laughs> of humanity. I'm trying to keep this conversation in the saving the world category, but uh, yeah. burn yeah. 
Hey, introduce yourself real quick. Hey, uh, thanks, thanks so much for having me. And Anjal, by the way, love you know, big fan of stability, like your fan as well. You know, good, good, good stuff on that. Uh, I'm the founder CEO of Hyperspace. We are trying to build a personalized AGI, which we believe should also be decentralized. So we are vertically, uh, you know, vertically doing this. Uh, there's a consumer side of things, and then there's also uh, an end-to-end -end AI protocol, and has a few different components around running inference for cheap. Uh, making models run in a, in a smarter way using uh, data and vectors in a, in a smarter way. But end-to-end, -end, the challenge is that can we make AI as abundant as electricity? Can we reduce those costs? So there are a, a few fun things in that, in that journey, but great to be here. Got it. Okay, great. Let's, uh, let's jump right in because we got a lot to talk about. My first question is probably the question that comes up the most when I am presenting any AI startup to investors because as you guys know we have a we have a syndicate that we introduce deals to and those deals are then looked at by LPs and they decide if they want to invest. The first question is what is the moat? So what is the moat is like the number one question that we come across. Um, I want to just kind of get some thoughts on that. Uh, maybe Matt if you want to kick things off for us. Yeah sure I mean I think if we're being honest with ourselves, like I think every AI company is at any level of the stack is asking the same question. Like, what is the moat? Is it architecture? Is it data? Uh, is it just user experience? You know, um, the way we think about it is that like, look, you can't really, as a startup, you're not going to be able to compete on, in terms of compute capacity, right? You're not going to have more compute than Google or open AI. Um, Innovating at the architecture level is, is, is possible, but difficult and unlikely. Um, and what, so what you really have is you can innovate at the level of, of data and data quality. Uh, companies like Mistral have shown if you invest in really, really high quality data, you can get incredible results. And at the same time, you can actually reduce your compute costs because you can get a, a more performant model that's smaller. Um, and I, our perspective is vertically integrating, going full stack, not just owning a single layer of the stack, but having the end user experience, being able to turn data that is generated by usage of the product that's really like ground truth, human labeled data, and feed that back in to train or improve models to make a better user experience, right? So in the day, you're building a product for somebody and it has to work for them. It has to make their lives easier, better, faster. Um, and if you can do that and build a compounding advantage by the more people that use the product, then now you're taking that data and you're making the product better and better. That I think is something that, that you can actually build a, a real competitive business around because you're actually making the product better for the same person that's mm -hmm. using it and it's getting better over time. Um, that's our bet, at least. Mm -hmm. We'd love to hear other folks. Any, anyone else want to touch on the uh, the moat question, real quick? Sure. Uh, you know, I think I think the real moat is user experience, things which people love and want to go back again, again and again. And in AI, there is only one thing behind that thing, right? It's it's data, and you know, models are commoditized. Where you run models is also commoditized. Not that interesting. Uh, but and data, what we have seen is even if you are the smallest of startups, and if you can focus on one particular data set, you can provide a better answer than perplexity. You can provide a better answer than ChatGPT. 
it doesn't matter how much tens or hundreds of billions of dollars are behind a particular thing. If you can focus, uh, you have your mod, right? And uh, that really is, even even the big companies uh, cannot compete with that. You saw yeah. it looked like it, someone else looked like they wanted to jump in. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I'll yeah. kind of add to that. This is Preston. Um, I would say I agree with both Matt and Varun in terms of the framework and making sure you know how you're competing. What is your differentiator? I mean, Matt talked about the vertical stack and we think about it the same way. It's like there's the data set, there's the model, there's the compute, then there's the user experience. And I think if you know where your differentiator is and where um, you have the advantage, like that's that's where you lean in and you can vertically integrate, that's one approach, or you can choose which layers you wanna compete on and then partner um, on the other layer. So if, you know, I don't think any, you know, maybe, maybe uh, stability AI, but, uh, as a startup, we're not, you know, competing on the compute side. We're using NVIDIA and we're using uh, Stability AI on the um, on the model side. Uh, we don't have, if we're using a general purpose model, we don't have a billion dollars a year to spend on payroll like Google DeepMind. And so mm -hmm. we are partnering on uh, the general purpose foundation model. But where we do have an advantage at tapping DAS 3D is we do have the largest data set of fully rigged and purpose-built 3D characters and content. And so we're leveraging that for our end user experience, like Varun talks about, for um, things like gaming, so that you can create uh, fully rigged, you know, normalized topology meshes, like things that are usable in game, which is very different from like just saying 3D in general. Um, or we're part, you know, so those those are some of the things that we're doing is we're being very uh, intentional on where we're leaning in and where we're partnering to have best in class results. Got it. Got it. Adel, can, can you can you explain why the comp like why are costs so high? Why is compute cost so high? Like, what are we? You know, why isn't it coming down more right now? Especially with all this like advancements. Like, you know, it, I, I almost feel like I'm I'm I, I can't tell if this is like artificially being manufactured as something that's remaining high, or if it's really still as expensive as it is as it as it as it sounds like scaling laws. So there's a paper came out a few years ago. Um, I, I have it printed out. I forget the name of it, but it was a very influential paper. Um, and it basically showed that there's these scaling laws where you could add more data, more compute, and increase the, the size of parameters in a model, and you continue to get bigger and better results. Um, and that was... You know that that paradigm. No one knows if it asymptotes at some point, but that paradigm has been driving so much to just say, "Hey, look, we have this transformer architecture. We just throw more compute, you know, make it make it bigger, more data. It keeps getting better. Can keep doing these new things. Um, and you know, there's real. We've been kind of compute constrained for a while. H100s came out, you know, um, and then I think people really went hard on that and then realized, well, maybe we can actually make the better, the, the quality of data better. And, you know, we're seeing, starting to get into the sort of optimization phase. Uh, but, but that's the core of it is that the theory says you throw more compute, more data, you make it bigger, it does more stuff and it performs better. Adele, you wanted to add to that? You're on mute, buddy. So the cost of compute, my opinion on this is uh, only determined by two factors at any given moment, which is the supply of that commodity and the demand for it. 
um, my belief regarding H100 and A100 dominance is uh, that there is a, a researcher mindshare that is overly dominated by uh, building on top of CUDA and uh, using A100s feels like one of my researchers put it so cozy. So it is, uh, you know, you're, you know, and going back to your previous question on what's a moat, I believe the only moat is the talent that you have. And the talent that you have is really, uh, you kind of have to give them what they want. Otherwise, they'll go to another, you know, person that pays them better. Um, so yeah, I, we need to give give them A100s and H100s and all, but we've got the TPUs and Gaudis as well. And we're really trying to make it such that, you know, building models and doing inference off of those is uh, as cozy as it is. And that should increase this the amount of implicit supply available, at least for us, which will allow us to have an implicit price of compute reduced down to the level of what Gaudi charges us, right? Or um, yeah, that's Intel, and yeah. uh, that's the hope uh, for our side. Gotcha, gotcha. Preston, can you talk about how uh, a startup maintains a competitive edge, like in this rapidly evolving space? You know, things are changing so quickly. Like, how, what is your guys' approach to like developing IP and innovation, and you know, how do you stay ahead of the curve here? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to go back to the fundamentals of what what your mission is and what problem you're trying to solve. And so for us, um, we look at, you know, what's the best experience we can provide to our creator community? How do we make 3D creation and consumption easier, faster, cheaper? Um, and then we leverage, uh, and then we look for kind of the, the um, best ways to do that. And AI is by far the best way to do that um, as we look forward. Uh, we actually partnered with Stability AI on a few things, so it's like, you know, we look at the landscape, we look at uh, the open source technologies, we look at the, the proprietary technologies, we look how it's going to be delivered. Um, and so use, using and leveraging that to really solve the problem of what you're trying to achieve is, is important. Uh, another one is like, um, another principle we have is like, we, we fish where the fish are type of thing. And so uh, we're really excited about the, uh, the advancements in smaller models, like um, Adol mentioned, and Edge AI and being able to bring it to the mobile device um, as mobile devices can consume, what is it like 4 billion parameters now and the Snapdragon can do that. And just there's more mobile devices than humans out there. So we're really excited about a couple of the trends uh, coming out and how we can actually deliver our product in the best possible way to our customers. I don't know if that answers your question, Drew, but that's that's kind of our guiding light. That helps. And, and talking about trends, Brent, can you talk a little bit about the um, the kind of the convergence of Web3 and AI and where we think some of the opportunities are there in that area? Absolutely. And um, talking about moats, I think that's one of the most significant ones uh, that we have right now in AI space where, um, as everyone's once mentioned, you know, there are three companies that are incredibly well funded um, that have dominance right now. And Web3 uh, can offer a moat and an advantage to, to smaller startups uh, to build upon. Um, I think, uh, you know, for, for us, if we're looking at like how to even compete, uh, for any startup, first off, you don't want to be a wrapper. Um, as a wrapper, you're just for providing all of your data sets to those 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 larger companies that will end up taking it. I, I always like to look at like the Amazon example. Uh, when GPT's the GPT store first launched, 
um, it was a really exciting time to to be able to to customize these GPTs. But it's really it's straight out of the Amazon playbook in my mind. It's where they provided a marketplace. Uh, I sold batteries on Amazon for a long time and did really well with it as the first. And then Amazon sees that you know it's the top mm -hmm. ten sellers batteries. So Amazon's going to make the batteries and sell them themselves and push them to the top. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of how I foresee the big three working. Um, so you know it's it's it's, it's really nice to see stability AI and, and all of these uh, all these other creators developing open source models that can be used. Um, and I'm so sorry, I don't know if I'm answering the question directly, but uh, I, I, at Web3 in particular, with the values of ownership, with the values of provenance, with the you know collective excuse me, collective collaboration on the blockchain, all of these things will come into play. And I, I see that as an advantage for uh, small businesses building an AI right now. Varun, in, in the fact that there's so many different, like, there's a lot of different open source libraries, there's a lot of different, you know, there's a lot of people contributing in this collaborative environment. Um, how, how, does, how does one kind of leverage and optimize this technology? Like, how do you start to piece together the optimal stack and, and make selections on, you know, which technologies to partner with, libraries to partner with, et cetera? Sure, I, I think, and you know, over the last few months, there's been heightened complexity, right? Many, what many developer companies are selling is complexity. And I think it's important for developers to see uh, what's in their most interest. It's, you know, what can uh, make their, their life the easiest. And maybe the answer is not to choose some of those products, which are dependent upon uh, extracting more developer time, right? So there, there are pieces of this. I would say, you know, if you look at it as there's a new AI operating system emerging, there are some components and, and you can piece these together. You can run models uh, locally. You can uh, prompt them in, in a smart way. Many of these pieces are emerging. And uh, I think, you know, as a developer uh, myself, if someone has already done something, uh, it's good to replicate. I don't want to write fresh code unless I absolutely have, absolutely have to. So, uh, wherever there is, people are talking about that's you know that is is the best bet. Uh, to me, the bet is not on programming language or on a certain framework. It's it's what's being used the most because uh, that's where people end up. You know where mistakes are made. Uh, you know one of the things I learned recently was that OpenAI in order to train or improve their answers on coding questions, they went out and bought a startup, right? A startup called Kaggle, uh, and sorry, another like coding competition startup. And they learned from the deviations, right? So there would be, you know, a good answer, but that good answer could be slightly wrong and they learned from it, right? So the answers which they can provide now has, has all that baked in. So uh, I, I think the more iterations are happening somewhere, you know, that's, that's the right place for developers to, to learn from. Yeah, yeah, Matt. I know you. you one thing I'd actually say about that that uh, echoes what uh, Adil was was talking about. Um, the reason that everyone is spending so much money on Nvidia is because Nvidia has this CUDA ecosystem, the software ecosystem. So if you're building open source, all the open source stuff is built on, you know, on this assumption of of, a, of CUDA CUDA libraries, and so you end up defaulting to the Nvidia stack. Uh, which gives NVIDIA this incredible, you know, choke point um, and, 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 and moat and drives its cost for everybody and their market cap. 
Interesting. Interesting. That's a, that, that's actually one of the better explanations of why I've heard NVIDIA is so valuable. Um, can you, uh, uh, Matt, I know you're, you have a strong pulse of the startup ecosystem. You know, if you were to throw an investor hat on for a little bit, like, and think about it from a business perspective, where do you think are some of the clearest paths uh, for businesses building um, AI startups in, term, in terms of like commercial viability? Like, where do you think the money is in AI? Um. Well, one, if you can figure out somehow how to break the NVIDIA CUDA lock and, you know, make, uh, you know, all these other wannabe GPU companies uh, cross compatible with CUDA, I think uh, you will make a, a lot of people very, very happy and you'll figure out how to make money. I don't know how to do that, but if someone could, that would be like manna from heaven. So that's one. Uh, two, I think that, look, you know, ChatGPT came out at the end of 2022 and then API. Step one, people kind of built applications on the API, it was wrappers. And then what happened in the last year is that there's been this explosion of open source. And I think stability, right, it, it kind of was like the, the, the bleeding edge of that. Um, and now you're a lot of people are realizing, hey, these open source models are getting really good. I can actually vertically integrate and own the full stack. And I think there's prob you're probably going to see a pattern where companies, let's say, prototype in as like a GPT wrapper, a use case, like, hey, this actually works. Now let's vertically integrate. Let's replace GPT, you know, chat GPT API with an open source model. Um, and let's get some sort of flywheel spinning where as people use the product, we're collecting data that then lets us fine tune or train this open source model, make it the quality better. And hey, maybe you can shrink the model down and actually use less compute and maybe run it on the edge. That, I mean, that's what we're trying to do uh, is, you know, we're, we're trying to go from, from, from server to do, to push as much computing as possible uh, to your phone or, or to, to your device and your computer and, you know, it's it's totally possible, but it's also not that simple because you have to deal with like memory management, thermal issues, all sorts of things that if you're just building user interface, you don't have to think about uh, as opposed to, to, to run, running models running models locally. So you end up vertically integrating it, but it makes sense if you already have a use case that you know is working. It totally makes sense. Anybody else want to weigh in, throw in, throw on your investor hat for a minute and see uh, talk about where do you see some near-term business opportunities? Where do you think some big investment opportunities are in terms of AI in relationship to startups? Sure. Call option on Meta. I, I I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Just just do a call option on Meta and you make <laughs> return. Yeah, that's a that's a that's pretty straightforward. I mean, I, Why, let me ask. Let me ask. Follow up there. Why Meta? Uh, the open source stuff is gonna go a little bit a little bit higher. I think. Um, yeah, it's, they're doing a good job and. Uh, I think there's probably going to be a kind of a shorting period sometime mid 24. I'm Kim calling it the deep fake apocalypse because something's going to happen, uh, you know, mostly relating to audio and image. Um, but apart from that, you should be kind of up and to the right. 
for anyone working on the open source uh, multimedia. Uh, that is very fair. I think that'll probably have, I think that moment will probably have something to do with the election too. Um, if I was to think about where the, uh, where that deep fakeopolis will happen. Um, okay. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the big term everyone always talks about is AGI. You know, that's like the, uh, the, the end game here. I think we're probably closer to that than we, than we, when than, than we've uh, thought we were years ago. Um, and, you know, if that happens, you know, if we reach that point, what happens to all the businesses that are creating um, consumer applications in in AI? Does does one AI does does one AI start to be just become all encompassing? Like, how, how should how should investors and consumers think about the impact of AGI? I don't know if Varun, you want to take that first, maybe. Sure. I you know I believe this is the year of AGI, and it's it's not what we have thought about in previous years, I think it's something more useful from a, a consumer perspective. And the way we experience, and I think what AGI would mean is, it'll still need to use the applications which are already there, right? Which have existed before, which come into play, because it's a function of, uh, again, data, and people who have built startups, which are uh, which have certain data sets, the AGI does not have access to all of that, right? So even if you have smart models, which knows what to use when, and and this notion of this, uh, I view the AGI more as a as a meta product, right? So if you even if you look at something like Rabbit, right? So Rabbit is trying to decide that okay, yes, there are ten different apps, websites, and it can browse those for you and navigate to the right things, uh, and that works. You know, that's to some that would be like one form of AGI. Similar mm -hmm. things would exist on the laptop, desktop, Android phone as well, right? So you have this meta AI, and you know this you know AGI thingy is is clicking and making actions for you. So you're not going on Google and browsing the links and clicking on some ads. So that's you know Google's $200 billion in ad revenue, which is uh, pretty much up for grab, right? So that you know that unbundling of Google, as people have started calling, those things start happening because this AI is making decisions for you. So I think inflection was early here with the personal AI thing. I think there would be more products built in this. And it, it really is a whole category disruptor, right? Because your 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 this AGI will make decisions on behalf of the consumer. And whoever has this relationship with the consumer, uh, I think that's where a lot of the power and a lot of the mode shifts, right? Because this AI can decide that, hey, look, I don't want to use a product X or Y for whatever reason. And the consumer may not even know or may not even care about it as long as value gets delivered. So I think it would be interesting in how we build and think about interfacing with this wave of AGIs are very powerful personal AIs which which come this year. And it won't be a website, right? It won't be because it'll be something beyond a website. So I know I actually I actually just bought uh the one of those rabbits. I don't know if you guys all okay saw the rabbit that came out yes. uh, at yeah. CES. Anybody see that? I, I haven't gotten it yet, but I bought it because I was like, you know what? I'm I I mean A I like to tinker and play with new things, yes. but I've always been intri intrigued by hardware that'll be AI first. Like I, I, don't, I don't know if that's the form factor or if it's something else, but I do think that the you know the iPhone, for example, has stayed pretty standard over the last decade. Let's say there really hasn't been some kind of like really kind of like transformation to that to the iPhone. I'm super curious if like if you if we really leaned into Apple getting back to its innovative state and started to design um, kind of rethink what the iPhone is in an AI first world, like what would they come up with? I'd be super curious. But that's kind of where my mind was going. Um, anyone else want to weigh in on the AGI topic before I move on? I, 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 oh, go ahead, Adil. 
Oh, okay. I, know, I know you have to leave in a couple minutes, so why don't you why don't you hop in first? Yeah, um, there's two things that are relating to that broader topic that I think are relevant for anyone who's trying to build something. Uh, one is what I call like the the, the paradox of, of waiting. I think maybe uh, there might be other terms uh, for this that other people have thought of as well. And and the other is a theme I call the the rising tide uh, drowns all uh, boats. And the the first theme is um, like if you've if you've read the book um, the three body problem. Or if you, you know have any kind of notion of uh, playing Civilization Five or something like that, what happens is you you can build. You have to choose when to act, right? You can build your army when everyone is in the Stone Age, and then when the tech tree advances, the somebody who has a machine gun uh, just destroys your whole army. Or the three body problem version is that you can set out your um, your your spaceships now when the max speed is 0.05% of light speed. But then 500 years from now, you can launch where your max speed is 95% of light speed. And the people who launched later will get to the destination first. Mm-hmm. So you're in that situation now as well. Uh, you know, If you had built an image uh, front-end application like Copy or Jasper did you know, last year or two years ago, right now you're thinking, oh, God, uh, you know, we just have most of our IP is kind of useless. We have to use the most uh, recent thing. That's the first thing. And the second thing, the r- rising tide drowns all boats is um, pretty much you see that constantly when you build on top of the platform of an AI. Um, people were like prompt engineering and there's you know, rag and all of these things. But at the end of the day, the, I mean, we're going to take that data and we're going to train the next model on it. And then your technology is obsolete, right? Yep. So you have to, uh, you have to kind of think about how you work with, with that. There's a different kind of frame of mind that you have to have with this kind of technology. Um, and it's just moving really fast. I wouldn't say that there's AGI happening, um, but we're not working on AGI, right? We're working on small models. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I appreciate that. Brian, <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that's funny. Brian, what did you want to add, buddy? Uh, I was just going to say, uh, I, I agree with Varun um, on the AGI coming sooner uh, than later and it being, um, we, we see it as being owned. So like, as opposed to one central location, AGI and um, agents as they're known uh, will be customized to, 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 to your person. Right. So whatever, um, whatever you want to train your data sets on um, and how you want to converse and what language you want to converse and uh, basically what actions you want it to, uh, what, what actions you want to do, it'll be able to perform. And, and I see those being very custom to each user rather than it being one large LLM to rule them all. So mm-hmm. um, I definitely agree with that. And I was going to also comment on the rabbit. I bought the rabbit as well. Yeah. Um, but I got it for for my daughter who is uh, five, and I want her to learn AI, but I don't want her to be connected to uh, the uh, internet yet. I mean, it is technically the internet; it is the internet. Yeah. But like, I'm not going to set it up to to a bunch of stuff. But I want her to be able to use it. And start That's really interesting. I, I have a five year old kid too. I never even thought about that. 
I think it's going to be a really great way to introduce people to AI and control some of your controllables, um, whatever you can. People ask me, are you scared about giving your child AI, to which I can promptly say, absolutely not. I'm infinitely more scared about social media than I am AI um, yeah, for, for children. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about uh, testing that out as well. Super, super interesting. You know what's funny is I actually was going to do the same thing, but for my dad, because he's really old. And yeah. his vision is terrible. He's like practically blind. So he, he you know, he has the, the iPhone on the biggest setting and he can never, you know, figure out what to tap. And if he could just have a voice interface and, you know, hey, get me a thing, you know, like, and the AI takes care of it. And it doesn't remember passwords or passcodes and, you know, doesn't have to call me <laughs> and be like, hey, so this yeah. pop-up is asked, should I update my software, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the young and the very old will benefit from a lot of these. I'm things. honestly really happy because I bought it assuming I'd play with it for a week and then it would end up in my toy pile. So now that I'm hearing all these other use cases for it, at the very least, I could tell my wife, hey, I bought this for the kids. So <laughs> this is this is going very, very well. Brent, I wanted to follow up. I just wanted to bring it back really quickly to Web3 for a second. Um, and, and Varun, I wanted to get your perspective on this and, and whoever else wants to weigh in. I'm a big believer on the that, that in the... so. So DAOs, I think, were a very interesting topic over the past year in general. Um, and I think that overall, I would say the first wave of DAOs was probably a failure, if I were to say that like the first experiment and wave of DAOs. And I think that's because of the fact that we we experienced decentralized organizations, no autonomous. And my belief is that AI could turn every asset into its own DAO and, and, and create every asset into an intelligent uh, operating experience that can that can manage capabilities and perform tasks and do things. And I wanted to get, and, you know, I know that's a lot of the, uh, you know, the area that you guys play in with Aletheia is, is using AI to power NFTs, et cetera. And I wanted to get your thoughts on where do you where you think AI could could kind of um, impact or integrate into the DAO ecosystem to actually bring us autonomous organizations. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. And I think Varun um, uh, may be able to speak a little better to the technicalities there. But one thing you know we're exploring with Aletheia and and, and DAOs uh, is, is is simple governance of AI. So uh, in the last panel, people were speaking about how can you prove provenance, how can you prove things are fake how uh that are ai generated um obviously blockchain there's there you know I, that's a very thousand foot answer to a question that really needs to be owned into and like how you know what what is the way of that verif verification it's simply feasible via blockchain and there are a number of people tackling um that and that's one thing that uh, we're doing at aletheia as well um but there's another part of that that that's the governance of the ai models themselves so mm -hmm. Uh, if if uh, we're in Web3, decentralization is everything. Somebody should be able to do anything, right? Like that's the thesis. Mm -hmm. Somebody can go create a Hitler LLM and you can go talk to it right now. Mm -hmm. Is that okay? Um, mm -hmm. That's where DAOs will come in to play. I think a, a lot is, is, is this collective uh, unity of like what is allowed, what isn't allowed, who's deciding that factor. It's not, it's not meta that's deciding that. It's not... Um, a certain company, you know, it's not centralized, but it is to the users of those LLMs. And then, to your point, there, each each of these these uh, models can have their own DAOs, and and within that, that that will actually speed up the development of these models and the inputs. And you'll find like-minded people coming to specific places and giving their uh, their data sets and training these models and making them more and more efficient. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Varun, you want to weigh in there quickly? Yeah, I, I think it's a super interesting question. Right? I have uh, one is a philosophical view that AI itself is a is a part of Web three because all we are doing is compounding knowledge, making it available to others. So, so that's fascinating, right? To me, Web three being a twenty five year bet, LLMs are one step in that journey, right? On a on a technical level, I think if we look at uh, even how block production happens in Ethereum, right? There there are block producers who may not be happy like look here's a transaction i don't want to include it in my uh you know in, in what i'm what i'm doing they're okay to do that right there are certain block producers who exclude certain types of transactions and that's fine there are others who will include those and i think for ai and especially as we get into peer-to-peer -peer ai there would be folks who would not be okay like you know this particular kind of ai request doesn't fit my belief system i don't want to support it and that's fine there would be others around the world who can who can then support that. So I think more we get away from, hey, look, here's a centralized company. They're going to feed in the biases, the usage limits, whatever the executives there feel. And, and we move on to AI being localized like electricity, right? And uh, so I think that is inevitable. And I think Web3, I don't view this as, uh, you know, Web3 separate, AI separate. To me, everything is Web3 and AI is a manifestation of that broader journey. I, I appreciate that. Well, Preston, any well, final one, thoughts? Or, or, and then I was going to ask Matt. Uh, or Matt uh, well, first. I was just going to say, I, I, think, um, I think there is a real opportunity to build a decentralized, portable, biometric identity and like proof of humanity verification standard. Like WorldCoin is doing this with the World, orb. World I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that, that that hard. What's that? I said WorldCoin seems to be going after that direction. Yeah, I think I have a feeling well, there'll probably be some version of that that like actually works on your phone. You don't need like the orb eye scan. I don't know, mm -hmm. uh, but that and I think like own. I think that'll probably end up being like an NFT of some sort, or you know, I, I think that could be an NFT. And I also think people will actually end up owning models, like owning mm -hmm. their own AI models or owning the weights, and those will be like encrypted, and people will be able to decrypt that, like have an NFT. That like generates the you know the decryption key, um, so those are things that I think are coming in the next few years in, in yeah. AI and, and Web three. Thanks, Matt Preston. Any final thoughts? We are muted, Preston. I think just to build on what Matt said, I, I do think that AI and Web three, you will have expertise and decision making at your fingertips, and you can have sandboxed uh, or decentralized ones or as part of the DAOs. Um, I do think it is interesting when you're talking about AGI, it's like, are we are we at risk of a Skynet coming online um, to kind of rule rule everything? And uh, my view is like, I kind of welcome that in, in some senses, like it is, is it, would that be much worse than it is today? And I say that facetiously, but it yeah. is uh, it is something to think about. Yeah, yeah. Guys, thank you so much. This was an awesome panel. Um, so there's no uh, panel now till two o'clock. What we're all going to do, and would love you all to participate, whoever else would like to, there's a networking section on your left-hand side. You click in there, you can meet with random people uh, that are at the, that are attending, um, and it's everyone just gets randomly connected. You can spend up to five minutes with someone, and you move on to the next one. Feel free to enjoy it. I'm going to hop in there in a bit. Uh, but this has been great, and I'll see you guys all at the next panel at two o'clock, and I'll see you in networking. Thanks so much. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, Redbeard, for putting this together. Thanks, everybody. Pleasure. <laughs> Thanks. Of course, guys.
This has been a Red Beard Ventures production.